Previously on Funny Science Fiction. They love to put you in small clothing so it looks like you're breaking out of it. <laughs> Welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. This is the show where Captain Picard wishes that they hadn't made it so. We're excited to introduce today our guest, Jack O'Hallard. Welcome to the show, Jack. Welcome, Jack. Hey, Jack. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here and, and have a chat with you today. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Jack, Jack has had a multifaceted career as both a professional boxer and as an actor. You may recognize him for movies such as King Kong, Superman, Superman 2, Dragnet, and that's just to name a few. But I'm sure we're going to talk to him a little bit about both his professional career as a boxer and an actor as well. Of course, Superman is one of the uh, movies I think a lot of people remember you from that are in our, our area of, of interest. So in general, do you personally enjoy uh, movies like that that feature superheroes or sci-fi? Well, you know, Superman, you have to take into consideration that Superman was the very first American superhero, you know, in existence. And uh, when we did the film Superman, it was probably, you know, one of the first real superhero films to be done, you know, and yeah. uh, we broke a lot of technology rules. We did a lot of things that they're just starting to do today, cinematography wise. Um, and that's why the film is such a classic. And, you know, yeah. the fight scenes and the flying shots and everything were so well done, you know, uh, they, uh, they, they, wasn't all CGI and stuff like they do today. So it made it much more real and much more authentic, you know? And the whole theme of Superman one and two was the all American way. And it wasn't killing everybody. It was actually having people locked up who are in law and order. And uh, Superman didn't go around croaking people. Right. You know, he was there saving everybody. Uh, so it was a whole different feeling and a whole different uh camaraderie you know and it uh yeah. i mean the people often ask me you know about the, the role that i played and uh when i um the, the character non was actually in the in the original story was a, a master scientist that they lobotomized as a punishment oh. and oh, okay. that's how he became a mute and stuff so interesting when they came to me to do the picture and i said you know I embraced the fact of playing a character like that because Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine and he did a picture called Gigo that he won an Oscar for playing a deaf, dumb mute. And I said, if I ever get a chance to play a character that you have to do facial and body expressions with, I would embrace it. And yeah. Non was a perfect character because you had General Zod was a vicious general. Sarah was a man eater. Somebody had to relate to the children because it was a huge child audience for the film. Yeah. And so I said, I'm gonna take this big brutish guy and I'm gonna play him like a child, learning how to work his eyes and getting all jubilee about doing things, you know? Uh, and it, it evidently worked out pretty well. Yeah. That's well, awesome. I, I know you're, to me, you were always one of the most memorable of the villains in, in that Superman because I remember there were three of them, but I, when I think of them, I think of you. So, well, I, you know, I remember when I first did the, I remember the first Comic-Con show I ever did, and, and people come up to me and they say, oh my God, you can actually speak? <laughs> and, and then they, you know, and, and they say, well, you scared me to death, but I loved your character. Right. Because it, it, it was like a child, you know, <laughs> gave a child something to give memory to, you know? 
Yeah. So exactly. I, I was glad that we it came off very well, you know. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Now I know, you know, as a as a professional athlete, boxer, football, all the stuff that I mean, you kind of had some of your own superpowers there. Uh, <laughs> do you identify with any superheroes yourself personally? Like, I mean, in addition no, to- No, I, I just, you know, uh, you know, when I came into the film industry, I was very, very, very fortunate. I, you know, I had probably the, the best mentor and the best teacher that you could have, Robert Mitchum. Yeah, You know, Excellent. I did the first Excellent. picture I did was Farewell My Lovely and, and Mitchum nice. was just, we became like father and son and he was, uh, nice. he was amazing. Uh, and he opened up my eyes to, and, and because of my sports and stuff, my timing and everything was always there, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, I had done commercials and stuff like that, you know, but nothing on the screen as far as acting and stuff. And they came to me to get into the industry several different times I, I, when I was up in Boston and I was, uh, undefeated as a, when I, as a fighter, uh, they were doing the Thomas Crown Affair with Steve yeah. McQueen in Boston. And, and we looked after him to make sure he was okay and all. And he and I became very good friends. And, and he said, man, you got to come down, get on the set. I want to put you in the movie with me. And, you know, you got to come to Hollywood. <laughs> we'll have a ball, you know, but he, Steve was, an, Steve was a great individual. I liked him quite a bit. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I think I got to give it a pass, man. Said, oh, you're crazy. Come to Hollywood. And I said, ah, you know. So then in 69, they, they offered me a, a role in the, the Great White Hope with James Earl Jones, which was the biggest yeah. movie in Hollywood at the time. And they, uh, a gentleman friend of mine, Raymond Patriarca, who was one of the more powerful dons in the country out of Rhode Island, had made a deal with Fox, with Eddie Foy, to get me off the streets and they sent me to Spain for six months and to do this movie. And, uh, and I, I, I said, I just knocked out the number two heavyweight in the world, Manuel Ramos. And I'm looking to fight Muhammad Ali and you want to go send me to, to right? Spain. I said, I don't think so. You know, and, and the producer said, but I thought the deal was all done. You were just going to sign the paper. And, and I said, ah, you know, there's, there's a guy, there's a guy up in Minnesota, Jim Beatty. He's just retired from boxing. He's a big white kid. And, got six mouths to feed he needs a job give him a call <laughs> you know and, and i left and and, and show you the, the smallness of an industry I, I was leaving fox studios and james earl jones was coming up the steps and i was going down the steps and he stopped me and he said aren't you jack O'Hara? and i said aren't you james earl jones and he said, <laughs> he said I, I gotta ask you a question he said you just told hollywood to take the biggest movie in the industry and and stick it I said, well, I said, I don't know. It depends if you want to look at it that way. He said, I got to shake your hand. I never met anybody that did that. Before. That's great. And we became good friends, you know. So I, it, the industry's a, a great place. And, you know, then when I retired from boxing, they offered me Farewell, My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. And I said, you know, I looked around where I was and I said, maybe it's time. So I went out yeah. and they flew me out. I did a screen test and Mitchum said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. There you go. There you go. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> it's all his fault. Well, it gives me a good excuse to watch that movie again. So. Right. It's a great awesome. film, actually. Did you right. ever did you ever fight Muhammad? No, we were signed four times to fight, actually. You okay. know, and one that I guess the closest we came, we when he was to fight Norton, he was coming to California to fight me originally because I was a California heavyweight champion. And uh, we had already made a deal. The guy that owned the, the arena was a Canadian kid who had just taken it over. And, uh, 
So Ali, we were giving him 40% of everything. And, and, and then the owners of Norton were very wealthy, wealthy people. And they went to Chicago with a satchel of money and gave it to Herbert Muhammad. And, and Ali called me on the phone crying. He said, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, it's out of my control. Yeah. You know, they, they made a deal to fight Norton and, you know, oh, and this oh, is what I got to do. So. That's all right. so then we were supposed to fight in Australia and, and then I fought, <laughs> I had a fight in, in, in uh, Detroit with the best heavyweight that Detroit had, Alvin Blue Lewis. And he yeah. had fought Ali in Ireland and went 13 rounds with him. And then he came home and he beat Ernie Terrell and another fighter and said, we're getting ready to do another Ali fight. And they called me up to see if I, if they could get by me. And, and I went to Detroit and I destroyed this guy. I mean, oh, wow. In fact, I was one of the last people to stay at the Cadillac shirt in downtown Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, neat. They had us on lockout. When you went in at night, you had to, you had, to have a key to get in the door. Because there was such, the troubles downtown were so yeah. bad. Yeah. Oh, wow. bad. From, from there, you used to stay at the Pontsatron. But the, yeah. Uh, yeah. but you know, it was, uh, but, when I beat Blue Lewis, I went to see Ali at camp. He was up in, in Deer, Deer Lake, up at his camp, and he was getting ready for a fight. And so I went up to visit him and say, you know, don't you think it's time that we got on this rock and roll thing and started to play or what? And he said to me, if I give you a title shot, will you really try and beat me? And I said, I'll tell you what, son. For the first time in my career, I will go away to camp like you guys do for eight weeks or so, you know? And uh, when you come in a ring, bring a gun with you because you're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, two steaks, please. We were having dinner. And two steaks, please. He was, a, he was just a great guy. You know, he was, uh, yeah. he was a very, he was a very, very good athlete. He'd have been great at any sport he ever tried. I can imagine, yeah. So we, we just had a lot of fun here and I, and he was, uh, but we never got down to, getting in the ring, you know, which kind of made, I mean, I, I was in San Diego and one of my fights, <laughs> this, is how, this is how he was supposed to come out and fight me. I, 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 I was knocked out about a half dozen guys in, uh, in a row when I became California heavyweight champion. And one of the guys I was fighting was a, a guy called Rockman Ali, which is, which is his brother. And I didn't know it was his brother. And he called me on the phone with a friend of mine from uh, Vegas and they were out in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And he said, you got to do me a favor. I said, I'll do you a favor. Come sign a contract to fight me. He said, no, we'll work it out. He said, but you got to really do me this favor. I said, what favor is that? He said, you're fighting my brother Rockman and you got to get him out of boxing. Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> He's insulting me and you got to get him out of boxing. I said, Rockman Ali is your brother? He said, yes. So I said, oh my heaven. I better go in the gym for a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I knocked him out in the ninth round. And he never fought again. And then, oh, uh, oh wow. He was. Uh, so I called him on the phone. I said, "Okay, now let's play." So that's when we put together the deal, <laughs> the fight in San Diego that I got kiboshed by through. money talks and everything walks. You know. There yeah. You exactly. I wanted, okay. I wanted to ask you another question. You know, we're all kind of putting up, doing things a little bit different this year because of COVID. And we're always looking for suggestions about what types of recreation and fun and things we can be doing to occupy ourselves. So I thought I'd ask you, how do you keep yourself recharged? How do you keep yourself creative and focused in these in these days with all this uh, stuff going on? I have, a, I have a stationary bike in my backyard. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I 
and I bike around the world on it every year. Yeah. <laughs> you got screens. I, I take I take my cell phone with me, and I do a lot of business calls while I'm biking. You know, there biking. you go. And I do. Uh, I got. I've, I've done uh, a martial art for years, and a breathing exercise thing, and and I do a lot of pakwa and uh, tai chi. So okay. you know, I oh, just cool. okay. exercise over and over and over. I just keep, keep on keep on trucking. You know. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Now, I wanted to mention, too, about your novel, Family Legacy. It's a fictionalized version of things from your family and your past and things you experienced. But I also wanted to ask you, if you are, are you working on, any, on any, any other novels, any other books that we could look forward to? We've got uh, three more books coming out of the same oh, genre. Wow. And uh, oh, nice. we, also have a, we also have a book of uh, Charlie Luciana, who was part, my father was partners with, uh, and we have the last testament of Charlie Luciano. His son's a good friend of mine. He lives in New York. And, uh, and Charlie, um, everybody thought he died at the airport in, uh, in Naples in 1962, but he actually faked his death. And, uh, wow. and he had some plastic surgery. He actually came back to America. He lived oh, wow. to be 101 years, 102 wow. years old. Wow. And nobody ever knew that. You know, there was uh, a lot of backstory there. So, we're taking his book and we're going to incorporate it with the books we have. And we're going to do a mini series that'll turn into a series. Huh. And it's going to be cool. quite enlightening for a lot of so, people. Yeah. The true stories behind. Uh, some well, that's the deal. The, the yeah. deal is, you know, everybody does these, uh, you know, there's no crystal ball in Hollywood as to what works and what doesn't work. But the one genre that has never lost money is organized crime pictures. Yeah, people like being, you know, even when they do spoofs, they still yeah. make money. And, right. you know, so what we're going to do is about 100 stories above The Godfather, because we're going to tell the truth and use the real names of people and yeah. uh, and show how things started. And when they started and put everything together back in the early 1900s, uh, all the illicit monies they made, they put back into the growth of a country. We know most people have hobbies or something um, while we're speaking about money. You know, we spend our money on certain things. Um, some things they invest their time in when they're not working. Do you have any hobbies other than bicycling? Of course, we, we know you mentioned that or fun collections, like a collection do you have that you craft or maybe what is it that you like to do other than your bike? I, uh, I have several projects in, that I'm going to make into films and, and awesome. we're building uh, a major studio in Nevada. Oh, we're going to build a four million square foot studio in Nevada, which will encompass everything in the entertainment industry under one roof for the very wow. first oh, wow. time in the history of the business, where you'll have movies, television, streaming, uh, music, uh, database, uh, water body, uh, wow. everything that you can. And, and we're putting a smart city next to it that'll house about 30,000 people which will all be employees of the studio. And we're gonna give them a seven year work contract for stability. And yeah. they'll only have 15 minutes to travel to work. Yeah. Whereas where I live in Redondo Beach, if I'm gonna do a film in Warner Brothers, I've got to face maybe an hour and a half, two hours traffic going back and forth each way oh, every day. So, yeah, you know, too. you stop and think about uh, the cost effectiveness of doing something like this yeah. is gonna be phenomenal for the industry. Yeah, cool. 
as a successful person that, that you are in life, um, what would you say maybe to a young person who wants to do the things that maybe you've done, maybe either sports or acting to, to maybe help them on their journey? What would you, what bit of advice would you give them? You know, I think you, you have to uh, take a serious look at who you are and, and what you actually want to accomplish. And, you know, uh, hopefully you have some guidance from your parental period, but if you don't have that, you know, you pick somebody in life that you would like to duplicate, you know, uh, and just get a, a fervor discipline in yourself that uh, this is the way I'm gonna live my life today. And, and I'm gonna do everything that I need to do to achieve that, you know, I, uh, I was very lucky in my life that uh, God gave me a lot of talent in a lot of areas and, yeah, and awesome. I abused a lot of it, you know, like uh, in sports. I, uh, if I would have dedicated myself and done, trained as hard as some of these people trained, I probably would have been world champion. You know, when I, when I was playing football, uh, here I was a six foot six, 280 pound defensive end that could do a four six forty, you know. So I had all the natural gifts that uh, an athlete would ever dream of having. That's I had nice. the mobility, yeah. I had the strength, I had the courage to play and, and do things to a professional level, you know. So while um, you were in those those sports or performing those, did you have a special diet that you were following, or did you you got a favorite food that that you you tend to fall back on? You know, I, I ate pretty healthy all my life. Uh, the, the worst thing that I did was I, uh, I enjoyed drinking beer too much. You know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, so While you're biking, you know, there's certain things in your life that you, you have to be able to alter and change and stuff. And, you know, uh, being involved in my father's world, uh, and being involved in the natural world, uh, you know, you, you had to have a day job or else the law would be looking down your throat. Like, mm -hmm. where are you making your money? What are you doing? So, you know, sports to me was a day job, you know? Okay. And then at night I would take care of union business and stuff like that. Nice. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I mean, I may not, I might be out banging around doing things until like two, three in the morning. Then I'd be up at five, six o'clock to go run. <laughs> to, to get wow. to, you know and then i go to the gym and sweat everything out of me and and figure oh man i'm i'm fine i'm on top of this right and the next night you're out doing the same carousing again you know so i never and i would when i was uh 16 and 0 or 17 and 0 in boxing uh and i and i couldn't box amateur because i was i was i played with the jets and the eagles and football and so it was considered a professional in those period of time you couldn't, there was no hardship cases. So we couldn't play pro ball until your class graduated college. Ah. So we used to play like in a semi-pro league on the East Coast that I was attached to the Jets. So they had a team that, you know, we played for. And, but you were considered a professional. So when they came to me to box, because uh, Ali won the title and I said to some friends of mine in Philadelphia, you know, I could beat that guy. <laughs> and they said, you know, that's a good idea. And they put me in the gym because I was a tough kid in the streets. Yeah. And they, so I wound up in the gym six months later on boxing. And, and after I had embarked on a very successful career starting out, I went to get a physical one day. And the guy said to me, 
you're an acromegalic kid. And I said, yeah, great. What the hell is that? Can I fight or not? And he said, no, you, that's a tumor of the pituitary gland and it's a very serious disease. And how do you even do this? Because it causes depression and everything else. He said, how do you ever get in the ring even? He said, and this disease will kill you. So you got to do something about it. Wow. And of course I brushed it to the side, like things like, you know, I'm Superman. Don't bug me. I, I got yeah. things to do. <laughs> you know, so well, I, and, I, and I kept going and, you know, uh, and then I started taking fights on two days notice and three days oh, notice because wow. they put me in sections of the country that I could take care of other business. And that gave me an excuse to be there. Uh, so, wow. you know, and, and some days I wasn't mentally really shouldn't have been in a ring and stuff, you know, physically I was okay, but mentally, and I, and I had a great talent. I could do 10 rounds standing on my head, you know, because wow. uh, I could fight. And so I, you know, it, it just, worked out to at, at the end of the day I was in San Diego and uh, I went out there to, they called me on the phone I was living in New Jersey and we had several indictments over union business facing us and they called me up on the phone and they said um, you want to fight Kenny Norton I said when the guy said next week I said send me a ticket he said you'll <laughs> you'll take the fight I said send me a ticket I wanted to get out of town you know yeah right so, there you go I went to San Diego and I gave Nick Norton a, a great licking. In fact, that we really got was a terrible. I won the city because I really beat him and they gave him they gave him a decision. But nice. I actually could have sat on a stool in the ninth round. It was a great fight. If you ever get a chance to get the tape of that fight, it was a brilliant fight. And and in the ninth round, he and I were standing toe to toe, and people were standing on the chairs screaming and yelling and shouting. So huh. When they rang the bell, nobody heard it ring. And the guy rang it three times and the referee finally separated us. And I was going back to my corner. He ran across the ring and hit me behind the head and drove me into the ring post. And Joey Almas, the commissioner, was sitting there, jumped up in my corner and said, if you can't continue, you just won the fight on a foul. And being I was fighting in his hometown and everything, I should have said, yeah, okay. But uh, my anger got the best of me. And I said, I'm going to kill this guy, man. Oh. <laughs> and I get out in the middle of the tenth round. I'm saying, "What am I doing, man?" You know, and, and he's bleeding like a pig, and, and I busted him up pretty good. And so he got a decision, but I like won that. So I stayed there, and I knocked out a half dozen people and won the California title. And fought a guy Henry Clark that nobody wanted to fight and beat him up in San Francisco. Yeah, you know. And so it was, uh, you know, all to the better. But the doctor down there, Bill Lundine was a good friend of mine and he uh, he was he gave you your physicals for the fight and he said to me one day, you know, Jack, if you don't go to Scripps and get a workup on this acromegaly, he said, uh, I'm pulling your doctor license because this disease will kill you and you're my friend and I don't want to see that happen to you. So I uh, went to Scripps and sure enough, you know, your body would pump out normally 10% growth hormone. Mine was pumping out 150%. Wow. My skeleton in my body today is like 60 pounds heavier than it should be. Oh, my. Okay. Because of the thickness of my bones and stuff. And, um, you know, and I'm probably about four inches taller than I should be okay. uh, because of the size because of my of the growth. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and, you know, so I I went and, they, and I said, well, okay. So then Scripps, they, if I went in and got it fixed at Scripps, they would have went up through my 
mouth and they take the gland out and you're then you're on hormone pills the rest of your life because the pituitary governs your whole hormonal system. Right. Correct. Yeah. So they yeah. they they had a great doctor up in Boston, Mass General, who had a new procedure called the Psychotron Proton Machine, which is it does it, it's a laser that didn't burn you, but it caused an inner explosion in the tumor. And uh, and I went up there and this guy bolted this thing to my head and and the, the bolt you to a machine so you don't move and right. and zapped. And I was one of a right. thousand that the thing for the first time zapped out and knocked the thing right out of the box. And uh, right. oh, cool. they, uh, and so I was supposed to stay in the hospital for the next two weeks while they did follow-up surveys because they wanted all the documents, you know, on this new procedure. And uh, three days later, I checked myself out of the hospital, drove down to Baltimore and fought the number two heavyweight Middleton <laughs> uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. The guy said, you did what? I mean, because why wouldn't you? That only makes sense. You know? right? Well, I, I stopped in Philadelphia and worked out two days <laughs> and then I drove down to Baltimore. You know, oh, and, boy. And, and, so I trained like two days for that. And, and that was my last fight. And I, after that, they, uh, the, the guy told me, he said, you're, you're taking your life. Are you crazy? He said, you just had this major, major surgery done in your brain. And you are you nuts or what? Uh, yeah, possibly. Well, farewell, my lovely was offered to me, and I figured Hollywood was a, something I should probably do, and made Steve McQueen happy and everybody else happy, and here okay. I be. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. So as they say, the rest is history. All right. So yeah. I got a couple questions for you here about uh, your days with in, in the Superman movies. Now earlier you talked about you know the the choice of how to play non as a, as a mute and why you you did that but yeah. playing somebody without uh, verbal communication and having to do it through physical means is a very taxing and, and difficult thing to do so what challenges did you find having to go into that role that way what what difference does it make you for know, you I, in real honesty i enjoyed it because it gave me a chance to be a kid okay you know? I, I actually really got into it, you know, of uh, being this jubilant, you know, and the way that I was brought into acting and the things that Mitchum taught me uh, I, and the ability that I had, you know, acting's all about one word. It's called presence. Okay. Either the camera likes you or it doesn't. Right. Exactly. And I was very fortunate the camera likes me. You know, yeah. good. And right. you could do, which means if when you have a presence, it's like Marlon Brando mm -hmm. or Mitchum or, or or Gregory Peck could do any movie in the world and you would say, Boy, Brando was great at that, or Brando was great at sure. this. You know, and then you'd get a real fine actor uh who would do a role and uh you'd be walking out of the theater and you'd say, Boy, he was really good. What was his name? Yeah, guys like Bill Holden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, who were good actors, but they didn't have that presence, you know? Yeah. Right. And and presence was the whole nine yards. And, and I just, God gave me that gift, you know? All right. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it, 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 uh, it helped me. So when I, when I do something, I walk on a set and I do what I got to do and I walk off and I'm laughing and joking and I'm myself. Some people carry it around with the method actors. They, they get into right. being that character and, <laughs> right, and they right. stay that way all day. And, you know, and I, I, I don't know how they do that, but Jeff Bridges. Right. For six like months that, of shooting, that's that's who they are. 
Well, yeah, a few right. friends of mine, they, they, they act like that, you know, it's uh, so it just, it just, well, but I, I, I don't know, you know, acting came very easy to me. Okay. I enjoyed it. And uh, it just, uh, I had a lot of fun with it, you know? So I also, not about non, I'm going to ask you a different question here real quick, but uh, this has to do with the movie Rocky. Now I read in a couple different spots that the movie Rocky is loosely based on your beginnings and professional career. How accurate is that? I did a movie, Farewell, My Lovely. And in the movie was a guy called Sylvester Stallone. And he came out to Hollywood with Joe Spinell, who brought four or five New York actors in to do bit roles in Farewell. And he did it for other movies. They all came as a group. And Stallone was writing his boxing script. And he grabbed me and he picked my brain every day. Yeah. He, <laughs> okay. uh, he didn't know Philadelphia. I told him about who I was and the waterfront and, and the fact that I was a gangster fighter and, uh, and, I, and I was controlled by the mob for a period of time. And, you know, and I explained Philadelphia to him. And, uh, and one of the telltale deals is that in the morning when he got up and he was cracking eggs and putting them in the blender. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I've done that for 60 years. I still do it every morning. I had four <laughs> eggs this morning. Raw really? eggs, I eat them every day, you know, and I've done it for years. And I told him about that. Oh, about, funny. Okay. But, you know, so the, some of the things that he did made me laugh because yeah. Yeah. he depicted like he was living in South Philadelphia, but the gym, which was the exact same building that we worked out at Pashyunkin Moore, uh, it was a, the, up on the third floor and the building looked the same and everything. He placed in North Philadelphia, you know, uh, so they changed a few things around to try to avert, but yeah, it was my life that he was playing with, you know. Cool. All and right. I, you know, God bless him. He's, you know, I think Chuck Wepner sued him and got a lot of money from him because Chuck was the bleeder from Bayonne, you know. Okay. But, uh, I was the hoodlum from Philadelphia. That's cool. I I had read that and I and I and I thought that that was pretty accurate, but you know, sometimes you just want to ask. No, it's uh, true. It's a very true story. Yeah, every day cool. he used to. He would pick my brain every day, you know, about boxing, <laughs> about this, about that, you know. And so, because I was signed to fight Ali, and I would, you know, and I was, you know, like I'm in like three or four boxing hall of fames and stuff, and and he just, oh man, you got to tell me about this and that. <laughs> so uh, what you might not know is that we have a very large Facebook group that follows us. We have uh, our Facebook group right now is about not just under ninety three thousand. Group members, we like to call them fans, but uh, but uh, so we we let it be known that we were going to be talking to you, and we asked if there was any silly questions that they would like to ask non. And here's a group one from our group member. His name is M. Jonathan Garzillo. He asks or set or say, stated rather, many people don't realize that the henchmen unionized many years ago. Most off-world henchmen are represented by the henchmen, lackeys, and toadies local 452, and have a very competitive pension and benefit plan. Non himself spent four years in the 70s as the 452 shop steward. So he asks, what's your greatest memory as being one of Zod's henchmen? Was it the long strolls through space in the space foil with that Superman locked you into? Or was it the years as the shop steward for the local 452? Well, if I was in the shop steward, I wonder where my pension's at. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you did say it was competitive. I mean, I was involved with several unions, but I never knew that one. You know? <laughs> Hoffa was a dear friend of mine, but I I don't think Hoffa ever represented that union. You know? Yeah, that, hey, you might want to you might want to get a hold of Garzillo. He says that there's a competitive pension, uh, pension and benefit plan waiting. Yeah, so. I like to know where mine's at then. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we have a little bit of game if you're uh, if you're game for it. Uh, we what we did is Prumps. we took our uh, we took our um, ninety two thousand member group and we asked some questions on how they think Zod would have or excuse Nod. me Zod not Nod. Zod non those single syllable names get me every time uh, how non would have viewed these things uh, and most of them are pretty silly so we're going to warn you that right up front. Uh, but what we do is we, uh, it's kind of like a family feud thing where if you, if you uh, guess the most popular answer, you get three points. Second most popular, you get two points. And if you get the third most popular answer from the three that we give you. Well, uh, you got to realize that nine was lobotomized here. So, <laughs> so I should get points for that alone. Exactly. <laughs> so if you get, uh, if you get seven points, you're going to go ahead and get one of our, uh, uh, I gave the uh, Red Shirt Widows and Orphans fun. There's a running gag in, in, that the guys in Star Trek that wear the red shirts always get knocked off. And if you get uh, 12 points, you're going to get the mug along with my book that I wrote, which is a parody of, uh, of that type of uh, movie called Custodians of the Cosmos. It's those who boldly go to clean up after those that boldly just went. So <laughs> I had a little fun with that. It was the number two bestseller. No, I wish it was. <laughs> but now now we do have a little bit of a uh penalty if, if you don't do very well we're going to go ahead and take uh uh make a, a funny picture a meme with the character you played and put it in our group as kind of a uh as a light punishment so just have a little fun with you how does that sound do you agree to the terms sure not a problem all right so all right so here we go start you off now, do i answer it in, in vernacular or do i just grunt <laughs> you, can, you can drop one, two, or one, three. One, two, or three. You can <laughs> however, however you choose to answer, as long as we understand it. Right. So, uh, question one: If you could see Non from Superman do a song from Broadway style musical, which would it be? Did our group members say that it would be "Putting on the Ritz" from Young Frankenstein, "I Feel Pretty" from West Side Story, or the main theme from Phantom of the Opera? Wow. <laughs> So putting on the Ritz, I feel which, pretty, or Phantom of the Opera. Which got the most votes from which, our people. Which do you think our people picked as the most popular? Putting on the Ritz, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Right. Great. <laughs> you got it. Three points. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that would be cool, too. So um, question two, what is Nan's opinion of Cal-El, a.k.a. Superman? Did our group say he still carries his baby blanket? Is he just a dude with a superhero complex? Or three, do he thinks he only needs a pair of glasses to disguise himself? He thinks he only needs a pair of glasses to disguise himself. <laughs> yep, you got it again. Number one answer. Two for That's two. awesome. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know our group really well. <laughs> All right, question number three. Why didn't Nan and Ursa defeat Zod themselves? So our group uh, uh, suggested, was it, they did they think it was because there was too much brawn, not enough brains? Or did they say they were told that there would be snacks and there wasn't any? Or non thought that single syllable names needed to stick together? 
Too mm, much brawn, not enough brains. Were they told there would be snacks, or did they think so, single syllable names needed to stick together? What did our group say? So what yeah. did our group say? This mm, one was that's out an there. Interesting. I like that one. That's uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's, um, why didn't what why was didn't... the third? What was the third answer? Uh, they thought single syllable names needed to stick together. So Zod and non, non stuck together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably that's right. Probably <laughs> they thought everybody ought to stick together. <laughs> that but was they didn't really do. They didn't do snacks too well. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that was our number three answer. Snacks, snacks was number one. People their must have been one. hungry when yes, they took the test. <laughs> I was so going to say that, but we never did eat a meal together. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So uh, there, there's so only that. five questions. This is question four. What did, uh, oh, there it went. Sorry. What did Zod, Ursa, and Nan do in the super foil prison that Superman locked them in? Did our group say they plotted their revenge, knit each other's sweaters, or karaoke? <laughs> karaoke. I know. Yeah, right? There you go. You got it. That was He's nailing one. this. Yeah. So three points. They weren't locked in with uh, sweaters. <laughs> yeah. Where do they get the yarn? You know. <laughs> All right. So our last one, question five. If non were to be a spokesman of a product, would it be just for men, hooked on phonics, or chia pets? <laughs> what was the last one? Chia pets. Those little plants that grow those little, hair. Those little plants you spread the butter on, <laughs> then it grows hair everywhere. So yeah, so it'd be just for men, hooked on phonics, or chia pets. Just for men. Yes, yep, you got it. You here. nailed it. Awesome. Well, you get both the book and the 13. mug, so you did great. Yeah, so many, uh, so many people in our group were commenting on not only the uh, the thickness and well manicured nature of the of uh, Nan's beard, but also the massive amount of chest hair that was showing everywhere. So. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a manly man. You but actually yes. had 13 points. So yeah. that's really good. You did great. <laughs> a lot so, of people don't get that much. So well done. Thank you so much for yeah, uh, that was fun. having a little fun with us and taking part in our silly quiz. Yes, <laughs> Jack. Uh, Not bad for so a guy lobotomized, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can people go to find more about your novels and your other works? They go to familylegacythenovel.com. Okay. Okay. All right. Where else to find your works or anything other than anything yeah, about you know, just project. Google me, you know. Okay. 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 We can they do seem that. to be yeah. all over the place on Google. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah they'll throw in an yeah, IMDB. Yeah. We'll be yeah, we'll sure throw in an IMDB those... link to make sure that they can see your movies and things. Yeah. yeah. We'll be sure to place those descriptions so people can find you and all your other works. Great. Now, one thing for our uh, viewers and listeners. Remember that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Jack here and more funny moments that you can listen to. Please subscribe. Please check out Jack's work. Always feel free to contact us where it all began on our Facebook group, The Funny Science Fiction. If you're not happy with the show's content today, just let us know. For every complaint we receive, we're going to donate 4.3 cents to a scene-for-scene -scene recreation of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's going to be cringe-tacular. Oh, that was cringe-worthy, yes. Now, our ending quote for this week comes from Isaac Asmanoff. It says, those people who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who do. Thanks again, Jack, for <laughs> being you, here. Jack. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Jack. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Now, it would be illogical if we failed to mention our charity, 
the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, because as we all know, in episode 142, just five minutes and 27 seconds into the show, red-shirted starship crew members will probably die after accidentally landing on planet XO3 and fighting with Rux androids. But thanks to the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, their families aren't left without hope. Please remember our fictional charity, Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, is connected to a very real charity, and your purchase of Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund merchandise allows us to donate 100% of profits of sold merchandise to the awesome folks over at Wish Upon a Team. They help kids have a more comfortable stay in hospitals when their stay becomes extended. Let's not forget to help our neighbors in this time of need. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by Funny Science Fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.